about. It's really funny because Rick, you know, had already come up with his, and so he popped it right out. And but for me, um, I was having a little bit more trouble in how I was operating in law until I realized how I operated in law was I put it on Rick. You know, I'm saying that I had standards and expectations, and then when they didn't get met, that's when the bitterness and stuff would come in or the shutdown or whatever. And so it was kind of a little bit different twist. And so we were praying, you know, and we were doing our repenting, and I said, because, you know, when you had, I don't know how many of you are pastor's wives, but when you're pastor's wives, one of the real critical issues is quality time with your wife, right? And unfortunately, that's my love language. So, um, so that's always kind of been a little drama in our relationship. And so my prayer was, Lord, I forgive Rick for not wanting to spend time with me. And, you know, as critical as that sounds, we both just cracked up laughing because, you know, that really wasn't repenting, you know. I mean, it was just kind of funny because I was repenting because, you know, anyway, which, of course, wasn't true. So then I had to repent or believe in the lie. So it's amazing to me is how you're talking and how you're praying that you really do get down to the issue that the real core issue was for me is believing the lie that he doesn't want to spend time with me because after all you do what you really want to do right and so um, so anyway so it was really a cool time for us to really get to the root for me of what really was going on and um, so anyway but it, it was fun too to be able to laugh about it instead of it being dramatic and arguing and that kind of thing and to really just be able to to talk and communicate and uh, get a connection. And it's like I told him, I said, you know, the kind of connection that we've made even in the last few days is not something we can drum up. And I think that's, we try to generate it so much, you know, and that you really, it really does just happen when you both have a heart for it to happen. And it doesn't have to be dinner and a movie and dancing and all those other things that we also like. But it's, you know, it really is just a one-on-one -on -one communication and trying to hear the Lord and, and operate in grace in the situation. So anybody else want to be bold enough to share? Okay. <laughs> You're in trouble now. <laughs> Um, I kind of, uh, it hit me right away when you said that, and it was, um, it was that um, it was not my um, responsibility to make sure that my husband's happy. You know, he has to drum up his own um, happiness with, between him and God. He, you know, um, I just felt like he uh, borders on uh, getting sad, and that's not an issue I have, so I just felt like that was my number one job, and, um, and God has been really working on me with that and saying, no, that's a do thing, and, and I can do that. You, you just move out of the way. And um, it was really funny because then Roger prayed and asked the Lord, and um, he came up with uh, that's the same thing, except that God said that was between him and, and God and that um, his happy... Here's what's in my heart. Um, Rick started last night talking about Mission Impossible. And I think some of us guys, maybe some of you can relate, some of you can't, but we think we're Superman and we can do everything on our own. So last night, I guess we had some homework and, you know, it was just having the faith that God will give me a, the grace and although on a scale of 1 to 10, I think I'm a husband probably closer to 10, 
and the rea- when you do a reality check, it's it's not there. So all you know, all I prayed about last night is in, to be the best husband that I can be for my wife Debbie. So if I'm at a nine, maybe I need no, I'm not at a nine. But anyway, uh, it's not mission, mission. It's mission impossible if I try to do it on my own. So anyway, we can always do a new start, and that's uh, being rebooted, I guess. And so, anyway, that's what we shared last night. Anybody else want to share? Y'all be bold. We can start calling people later on. So, <laughs> what? <laughs> what up, Pam? Pam knows what it's like to be around me. So, uh, but anyway, uh, for those who had come in. Uh, last night, later in, or in this morning, just want to do a real quick review. I'm sorry, what was your name again? Roger. Roger. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> I'm going, Roger, I don't remember that one. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it was talking about Mission Impossible, and the Mission Impossible was that where you see the reality of, of the potential that we have and destiny we have in Christ Jesus in relationship to our wives or in marriage. First off is, just like in Ephesians 5, uh, 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. In fact, it says it twice in that chapter 5, um, that, that, that destiny of measure and uh, and when I start seeing that destiny, and that, in fact, the reality is I know that God would create her in a manner to operate on that type of love, that measure of love. Well, anything in that gap, that's a sin of omission. You know, it's, it's an omission. It's sort of like a, um, like a kid growing up is created by God to have a certain amount of vitamin D. Well, if that that kid does not get that measure of the vitamin D that it needs. It creates a condition. Isn't that called rickets or something like that? Yeah, and, and so that gap creates issues. And so, you know, we wonder why our marriages are not functioning and as God had created it. Well, that's one of the realities is, first off, on the husband's side, God has created me to love Paula as Christ loved the church. Well, on my own, that's impossible. I've tried to. I've tried to. I've done that as a law. You know, law means standard. And and then then on the flip side, for her to submit to me as she would submit unto the Lord. Well, there's a big, you know, there could be a really big difference between me and the Lord. And it'd be easy to submit to Jesus, but now she sees all my inadequacies and faults and she's going, Lord... If he can get it right, I'll submit. And she has said that <laughs> and has done that. We'll talk about authority at some point in time this weekend. But we were, we were established in that reality that God, in fact, y'all, the destiny for me toward Paula, there's 10 major destinies that I have toward her. Head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, as be to her as Christ. Uh, that's three parts in that were serve her, you like in Matthew chapter 20, verse 24 following, um, you know, I told y'all about 
being raised, my family being from raised from Southwest Virginia, where you see uh, submit means, oh, you know, in fact, Paula, when we first got married, she looked up the definition for submit in Webster's Dictionary, and one of them further down said, eat dirt. And, you know, and so Paula, you know, she's going, submit? Well, I won't submit to a man, you know? And, uh, but, but, but reality is, is we're interpreting the word of God in relationship to the world's definitions. If husband's head, we think like the world does. Oh, you're over. Well, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 24 following, he says the, ru the rulers of the Gentiles exercise authority over. It is not so among you. Whoever is to be first, let him become a slave. So we're to be to Christ, uh, to our wives, as Christ is to the church. Well, y'all, that's, that's to be the head. Well, what? And, and be to as Christ is to the church. Well, the first one is to serve. I mean, the role of being head means to serve. It don't mean to rule over. And so I remember one time, and I'm getting way off, but I remember one time Paula, we, were, we went out to eat and we were sitting at the, went to this Chinese restaurant and we we're, you know, and it's one of those where you sort of get the, you know, the food sort of almost, almost takeout, but you're sitting at this table and they had the fountain drinks on the other side of the room and, you know, and God had been really speaking into me, you know, you know, being ahead means to serve. It's not wife serve the husband, it's husband serve the wife. The more authority you have, the more you have to serve. The more authority you have, the more you have to die. In fact, that's the other one is the Christ is to the church. Die. Well, anyway, this one particular night, we're sitting there eating and, uh, and uh, you know, we had the fountain drinks and come over there and all of a sudden Paula goes, she looks over and she says, Rick, uh, she just slides her cup across the table and she, she slides it over and says, Rick, will you just mind go get me some, go get me some more Coke. And my first thought was, I'm just really, I, I reached out and grabbed the cup, you know, but inside I'm going, she's got two legs. She can get up and walk over there and get this herself. What did, and I pick up a cup and I'm going over and I'm fussing all the way over there. I mean, in my heart, you know, what's, what the, what the, you know, what is she doing? I wasn't cussing, but I, you know, I, was, I was just, I was just fussing with the Lord. And all of a sudden I heard the Lord say to me, serve. I'm going, oh, God, Jesus, what? <laughs> and so I turn around, I start walking back here, baby. Here's your Coke, because I had time to repent between there and there. <laughs> you know, because to be head and to be as Christ is to her, as Christ is to the church, is to serve her, to die for her. You know, is to wash her with the water of the word, to, to love her as I would my own body. That means to nourish her, cherish her, to leave my father and mother and cleave to her, to not be embittered against her, Colossians 3.15, not 3.15, 3.18. Peter 3.7, grant her honor as a fellow heir of grace of life, 1 Peter 3.7, and uh, live with her in an understanding way. Treat her as a weaker vessel. All of that, that's, ten, that's all in Christ Jesus to, to be in Christ Jesus. Not for me to perform. I've tried to perform those 10 things. It don't work. And that's why I say Mission Impossible and what we were sharing last night. And, and you know, I was just saying, babe, you only have one thing to fool with and that's really in relationship to me. I submit. And she goes, what? And, I said, and you, you blow that off like it's real easy. And I'm going, yeah. And she goes, What? <laughs> And I guess sort of like you were saying, I'm thinking I'm a 10 and really, you know, sometimes, you know. But anyway, 
And so what I was sharing last night, how to walk in the middle of the awesomeness of this relationship, it's in that 1 Peter 3, 7, where it says, grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. And what does that mean? That this life can only be a standard of measure, can only be released into us by grace. And last night we spent some time trying to define grace because I believe religion has kind of made it this ethereal, mystical thing that where you're just sort of floating around hoping grace dumps on you. When the reality is grace literally means joy expressed. There's a reservoir of God's grace. Last night we spoke that the traditional definition is that it means unmerited favor. Well, I expressed that, well, if grace was totally unmerited, then why is it that God only gives grace to the humble and not to the proud. If grace is totally unmerited favor, why is it can you come short of it in Hebrews 12, 15? If grace is totally unmerited, then why is it if you seek to be justified by the law, you've fallen from grace? And then the reality is God's called us to walk and live in grace. Well, I, I introduced last night was how is it that what is it that releases God's grace into our lives? And I, t I talked about the potential of living in abundant grace like the early church in Acts 4, or Stephen being a man full of grace. How is it? And we, we established last night that grace is released in our lives through faith. Faith, a life of grace. In fact, let me just back up a second. Acts chapter 20, verse 32 says this. Paul, the church, Paul says this. I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up in giving you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. You know, many times I'll, when I'm teaching grace, I'll walk up to somebody and I says, and I know this is an extreme example, and it's probably not healthy to use this example this day and time, but I said, I'll walk up with a 357 and stick it up to Pam's head, and I said, you got three seconds. Tell me what the word of grace means. When it says the word of his grace, what is it? Now, people get upset at me when I do that. I said, why would you use such a violent example of to, what is the word of grace? Well, you know why? Because sometimes life and death is a matter of knowing what, how it is you walk in the grace of God. That's why it gets that extreme. The word of his grace. What is it? Because first time I start reading this, it's in Acts 20, verse 32, and it's also in Acts 14, 3. I think it is 14, 3. Where the word of his grace. Well, what is it? The word of his grace is a life of faith, a life of humility, of faith, trusting in his nature or character or believing in his word. There's prompt. That's that simple. But it's always a life of faith. The righteous man shall what? Live by faith. Now, I mean, because I could push you this. I mean, literally, life of faith. Faith is a noun. The verbal expressions are faith or believe and trust. You have to go to the Old Testament and find it in the Hebrew words aman and batak. Wanting meaning to believe when you have a word, trust when you do not have a word. You trust in his nature and character. You believe in his word, you trust in his nature and character. All of the life of faith is is either believing what God's saying or trusting in his nature and character. That's all it is. But here's the question. When you woke up this morning, did you specifically choose to set your heart on either trusting in his character or believing in his word. I'll say this to you. If you did not, you're not living by faith. You know what you'll do? You know how I know? Because I do it. 
If you, what you do is you'll start to rest and you'll start to operate in your resources. And so you put me with a, a woman who is very strong and very gifted and talented and, you know, many other things I could say about her positively. And, but, and you tell me to function with her and she'll... She'll put you straight quick. I mean, this is how intense she is. One time there was a young guy in our church who he was married, and he was having trouble. With his, he and his wife were having some issues, and I, I was ministering to him, and I said, I told him, I said, Anthony, you know, I think it'd be really cool for you just to maybe talk with Paula. And he goes, no, 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 no. no. I'll talk to you, but now I don't want to talk to Paula. I mean, I could, I could put it to George. I said, George, I think you need to go talk to Paula about some things about how to love Jen. And I'd put the fear of God in him. I mean, I, <laughs> truth and love. <laughs> but, but what I'm trying to say is, is I, like this morning, Paul and I were I was confessing into my, setting my heart on, on literally, I was just, to be honest, I was confessing into what we were talking about last night. Oh, that I would love you as Christ loved the church. And she's in the bathroom putting her, getting her makeup on. And I, start, I was, she heard me confess that. And what'd you say? You go, oh, I'll receive that. I'll receive that. <laughs> because why? Trying and setting our hearts to live by faith. Y'all, we play the Christian game. And we expect to see phenomenal things. You know, that's why I told you last night, why is it the divorce rate of Christians is equal to the divorce rate of the world? Because many times Christians live like the world. Trying to do Christianity and not be Christianity. Exercising our faith in the reality of the God who is in us. What? Galatians 2.20. For I have been what? crucified with Christ. It is no longer what? I who live, but it's what? Christ who lives what? In me. The life I now live by the flesh, I live, I live by what? Faith in the Son of God who died and gave himself up for us. So it's faith. In fact, y'all, when I do counseling, Got a question? Got a question? Oh, I thought you was praising Jesus. Sorry about that. I thought I was saying something good. You're just going on with the Lord. Well, first I just wanted to say that it's refreshing to be at a Christian camp where, you know, when you get to the endless song, you can just take a nap in the floor if you get, you know, to that point. And I appreciate your example. But also, that's a joke, by the way. But... <laughs> But also, you know, it's just hit me 90 times since last night when you started the fact that loving your wife as Christ loved the church a lot of times means how the church treat Christ. You know, they spit in his face. They hung him on a cross to die. So if you're not willing to give up your life, you're already, you know, behind in the game. So I just wanted to, you know, draw awareness to that fact that it's a selfless love and it's a love that's sacrificial and it means giving yourself up. Uh, that's so true. That's so true. Thanks, man. I, I'll tell you what. 
one time, uh, in the last four or five years, three or four years maybe, God's really been convicting me of defending myself with Paula. You know, you know how it is. You, you get into discussion with your wife and you want to defend yourself. She says something and I go, well, you know, you, know, you did this. And I go, well, you know, well, you did that. And so God had really been convicting me about defending myself with Paula. Well, one time I was having this discussion with God about defending myself. You know, God, this ain't right. You know, kind of trying to be justified. And I said, and I went to the extreme. I'm serious. I'm having this discussion with God and he's talking to me back. And I go, but God, you know, you know, what if she kills me? You know, defending myself and to the extreme, you know, what if she kills me, Lord? And he goes, I'm serious. This God's not his truth. I heard him say, he said, that's okay. I'll raise you from the dead. He said, that's what my son's bride did to him. It killed him. It, his bride killed him, and I raised him from the dead. I'll do that for you. And I'm going, Lord, that's not really comforting to me. <laughs> but that's what you're saying. You know, how can we walk in resurrection power and not be willing to, to say, okay, God, it's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. I can't tell you how many times I've been, one, one particular time, Paula and I are in a discussion, discussion, and she, many times she can discuss, out-discuss me. And so, you know how it is in your in discussions, you look for those critical moments where you can win the argument. So I'll never forget, we're laying in bed, and we're discussing, and I see it. She says it, and there it is. There's the opportunity to win the argument. And I'm getting ready to speak, and all of a sudden I hear the Spirit of God say, don't do it. Love her. But I'm going, I did, I really am I go, but God, this is too good of an opportunity. And I wish I could sit here and tell you, man of God, man in faith and power, God, yes, Lord, I will love her. But that particular time, it was too tempting and I said it, and she starts crying, and I'm, oh, I'm sorry, but you know, of course I was stupid, because I didn't do what you said, die to myself and try to love her, you know, and so that's exactly what you're saying. Love, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is crazy love. But anyway, you know, when we do counseling, I never deal with the externals. In fact, we only let the externals tell us what's happening and how it's affecting faith and love. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus only operates on two principles. First Corinthians, I mean, First John chapter 3, verse 23 tells you, this is the commandment we have from him, Jesus. And it's two things, believe and love. In fact, you know, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days in Acts chapter 10, 8, verse 10. And he says, I will write my laws on your hearts and on your minds. Y'all, it's not the law of Moses where in Deuteronomy 28 where, you know, if you're careful to be obedient to do, externally do all these things I'm commanding you, you'll be blessed. That's the law of Moses. But the covenant of the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is a law of the heart of Faith and love, that's it. 
That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's why right after that he said, you heard the ancients say, you shall not commit murder. That's external act. But I say to you, if you're angry with your brother, you're guilty before the court. Why? You got the law of Moses versus the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. I say, you heard the ancients say, you shall not commit adultery. Well, I say to you, if a man looks at a woman, he committed adultery with her in his heart. That's a contrast between the law of Moses and the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So the question, y'all, is not to me how I can do it. The question is, how can I love? Let me give you an example of this. One time, I already told y'all about God convicting me about defending myself with Paula. Also, the Lord had been convicting me about the true definition of love and what it really is. And one of the things he was using to convict me about it was the passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, and it was contradicting my life, where it says, love is not provoked. In other words, love does not get its buttons pushed. And so it's sort of been sitting in my heart. And the Lord also showed me 1 John 4, 7, where it says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves. And that Greek word for love there is a verbal form that means continuous action. In other words, it's never unbroken. In other words, it never gets provoked, for our example. It's never provoked. So... I was holding on to this and been meditating on this. And one night I'm teaching this. I was telling y'all yes, yesterday, last night. But one time Paul and I were teaching this Bible study in Roanoke. We were planting this, helping plant this church over in Roanoke, Virginia. And there, we had a whole bunch, probably 20 or 30 people there. And I'm teaching. Paula's sitting right next to me. And, and, uh, um, and I, you know, starting churches can be really ugly. I mean, you got a lot of crazy ministry opportunities. I mean, crazy ministry opportunities. And things get crazy. So I'm, I really want these people not to get shocked when crazy things start happening. So I start telling all these crazy details of ministry. I mean, crazy, dirty, nasty details. And Paula's sitting right next to me as I'm teaching. You know, I'm teaching intense and I'm teaching in love and, and all this kind of good stuff coming out. And all of a sudden, Paula just says, too many details. Something wells up in me. And I go... I want them to know the details. And I start teaching in love again. You know, what's going on. So, you know, Bible study goes on, time goes on, and it, you know, gets all the way through, and it's cool, you know. And it's over, and so we're walking out to the car, and I'm all feeling good about myself, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And we get out of the car, I walk around, open Paula's door for her, and she gets in, and I'm walking around, and I'm just thinking, man, God, this is, life is good, you know. Sit in the car, open the door, get in, and all of a sudden Paula goes, I just want you to know you really hurt me tonight. <laughs> what? <laughs> you, know, you know, what do you mean? You know, and really, and I hear the Spirit of God go, shut up. Don't defend yourself. And I go, what do you mean? She goes, when, uh, when I said that, you spoke sharply to me in front of everybody. And, and you didn't need to do that. All you had to do was say in love, I just want them to know the details. But I go, I want them to know the details. You know, so I can't remember. It was similar to that probably. It was obvious that I got provoked, okay? 
And so God's saying, shut up, listen. And then he, then he starts speaking. But she's saying that, and I'm saying, okay, okay, I'm just thinking this, okay. All right, she's saying all I had to do was say it. Just, I just want them to know the details. Say it in love. But inside, I'm wanting to you know, be ugly and violent. Inside. But Jesus rebuked the Pharisees. Oh, you Pharisees and hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside's full of robbery and self-indulgence. In other words, at first I'm thinking, okay, how can I say it to her? That's the law of Moses. External action. Oh, if I could say it loving, oh, that'll be good. No, but inside, I am what? Provoked. So guess what? My love had stopped. I don't mean I stopped loving. Y'all know what I mean. I just wasn't walking in love. And so everyone, and so God reminds me, 1 John 4, 7. Everyone who loves, the verse goes on to say, literally this is it in the Greek. Everyone who loves has been fathered of God or knows God. Everyone who is loves continuously has been fathered of God. And God spoke to my heart. He, said, he showed me an area in my heart that had not been fathered of God. How to love my wife in the midst of hard circumstances. My dad was raised up. Bless God for dad and the things that he did and God did in his life when he died at 90, 93. And George took care of him. But my dad would quickly put mom in his, her place. And, but I did not know how to... I was not fathered in how to love my wife in the midst of adversities. Everyone who loves knows God, and God showed me an area in my heart. In other words, what I'm trying to share with you, y'all, is that when things happen, I mean, not, not before I get into the things happen, the destiny that releases the grace of God into our lives is a life of faith. And to be honest with you, y'all, it's not faith like when we're sitting here at church, when everything's nice. It's faith in the midst of trials. Counter to joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result that you may be what? Perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. So it's these opportunities in the midst of, of, uh, of trials and temptations when things are not cool with Paul and I, that is the opportunity to believe that imparts and releases the grace of God into our lives. Y'all, it was, it was Abraham. It makes that statement. It's in, in Romans 4, 16. For it is the reason, it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace that the promise may be made. Oh, I can't remember. Something. We released to Abraham. Uh, Romans 4, 16. But it's in that place that where God says, offer up Isaac, offer him up, the promise, offer, the promise. That guess what? Grace was released into his life to become the father of many nations. So for the grace to grow in the relationship with Paula, it's, the night, it's in the moments like that night at that church in Roanoke of, of where... All of a sudden, God does this work to transform my life. You want to read it? 
You're saying Romans 4.16, For this reason it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace in order that the promise may be certain to all the descendants. Yeah. In other words, that's where the promise came in, is in the midst of that opportunity. So when we're ministering to people, I will only, what we'll do is we'll always not try to change the external circumstance. Like, oh, let me learn how to say to Paula in love. Let me know how to say it nicely when she pushes my button. That's sick, y'all. That's called Phariseeism. No. <laughs> Why not deal with the inside of the cup and dish? Y'all know what it's like when I try to take Paul out on a date to go some, do, that something else may happen. God has given her a spirit of discernment. She cut. <laughs> that don't work. <laughs> We've done it. You know, we set up date, have, try to have a date night every week and, and you know, you know, go out, make love. You know, what? You know, I'm going, hey, yeah, this works. Like a slot machine. Hey, baby, okay. It don't work with her. <laughs> in fact, when she, she discerns that in my heart, oh, it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. So what are the things that can hinder my faith and love? What can cut off my heart from exercising in faith? Well, in a relationship, one of the greatest things, the biggest things that can happen and hinder in a relationship, walking in faith and love, are sins against us. In multiple different levels. Sins against one another. In other words, uh, I do something stupid and, and hurt her. Or she does something stupid and hurts me. And y'all, the measure can be at any level. I mean, from any level. And it doesn't really matter. In fact, it's why many couples, when they first start hanging around together, and they're, oh, they're in love, they're in love. And, and then you talk to them 25 years down the road, or 38 years for us, and they're going, you know, you don't hear much. It's always interesting. Watch this, y'all. Go into a restaurant. And you see couples sitting and watch them. It's interesting. You'll see the couples who have wedding rings on. And they're probably Paul and I's age. And they're usually sitting there staring at their food eating. Or they're looking at their cell phones. But you see the couples that don't have wedding rings on. And they're looking across the table at each other. And they're talking and conversing. What is the difference? What's the difference? I'm going to tell you one of the differences is sins against us. And not processing the sin against us. Because, in fact, that is one of the most devastating types of sins in any kind of, in the spiritual realm. And we don't have time to go into details. Paul and I are going to real quick want to share these with you. Because one of the things that God's calling this morning is for your faith and your love to be released. The faith is in you. God's put you together. You've got to work. I don't say this to you. The love of God to love is Christ's love. The church is in you because Christ is what? In you. 
I, you have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's what? Christ what? Lives in you. Well, guess what? The capacity to love your wife as Christ loved the church is in you. Yeah. So guess what? I don't have to generate it up. All I have to do is just get out of the way and let it happen. Life, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. So it's a life of faith. And I love her because he first what? So if I'm not loving her, I'm not being loved. So I got to receive it. I got to receive it. So anyway, but then what Satan will do is put these sins against us up. And it's like my son, what he does, I wear glasses and you can tell. And my wife, my son, what he has a tendency to do is he'll walk by me and he'll lick his finger and he'll go right on my glasses. <laughs> and so guess what? All I'm seeing is his fingerprint on my glasses. And then he'll do it, do it again. And next thing I know, all I'm seeing is what? Fingerprints. Well, guess what? Satan does into the glasses of our hearts that project the love out. He goes, pick up, pick. and next thing we know, all we're doing is we're seeing the offenses of the past. Hindering us down. It's like, a, you remember the old days of uh, overhead projectors? You know, you turn, turn the light on. Imagine this, you turn the light on and it projects light. And you start taking transparencies. And then you put one on, oh, that's cool, it just shows words. But what if you could possibly just keep putting transparencies on until, guess what? No light. The light's on, but no light. Why? But something's blocking the light. That's what happens with us. The love's in us, the light's on, just something's blocking it. And most of the time, there's sins against us. Sins in a relationship. Two people cannot, I don't know, somebody, is there, this is not a negative statement, okay? I'm just curious. I just really am curious about it in a group like this. Is there anybody in here that's never had an argument with your spouse? Is there anyone, please? I mean, there's got to be one. Y'all? Never had an argument? Oh, that's cool. <laughs> Not in the last three years. <laughs> I mean, you could ask Paul and I, have you had a discussion in the last day? <laughs> but anyway, because why? It's in those mope opportunities and moments that it can either be an opportunity for victory or, or or guess what? An obstacle. And Paul and I real quick want to just ask, we want to do is show some things, speak some things real quick to take some transparencies off the, the overhead projectors of your hearts. The first one is, is unforgiveness. In fact, let me just, before I go on, picture this like a, uh, what I'm about to describe to you is like, you remember the old prison movies where you have a ball and chain and you go and you drag, you drag it along? Imagine that ball being an event, just one event that occurs. And Satan's desires to chain it to you. And imagine this, not having one chaining the ball to your leg, but having two. Okay? Two different types of chains. That wherever you go, you drag that event along with you. 
Now, y'all, you imagine this. In any marriage or relationship, you just don't have one event that can affect a relationship. You have a lot, most likely. I don't want to speak that into you, but for Paul and I, we have had a lot of opportunities. And so if you don't process these sins against us, you start walking along, guess what? You're... Or something's blocking the light. And I, I, I just want to bear testimony before I share with these things. When you start getting rid of the, the, trans, the transparencies on the overhead projector of your heart, that love can be brighter than it ever was before. I just confess this, y'all, that the love that's coming out of my heart toward this woman now is greater than it ever has before. Before we first got married, I was stupid. I didn't know what love was. Now, there's real love that's coming out of my heart toward her. But, but we've had to process a bunch of stuff. And the first type of chain that the enemy can put in my heart to weight it down, or first fingerprint of Satan on my glasses of my heart, is unforgiveness. Now, unforgiveness, now, y'all, let me just first off. Unforgiveness, the opposite of unforgiveness is to forgive. And so what Satan wants to do is to cause an event to occur and you not forgive. Jesus says, you know, told us in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us, our, forgive our debtors as who trespass against us. In other words, he forgives in correlation to how we forgive. Well, what does forgive mean? And most of y'all been around me, you know the definition of this, but the Greek word forgive is the Greek word Aphime. me literally means to send forth. The word picture is, excuse me, is just literally means to take a crap. No exaggeration. You eat food, eventually you have to what? Send forth. This world is, sin and death entered this world. It is constructed in a way that you take in, you got to send forth. You breathe in, you got to what? You eat food, you've got to send forth. You don't send forth, you get what? Sick. You start putting out smells. That's why you be around somebody full of it, that's full of it. And they smell it. You go, dude, you're bitter, man. Sort of like when Paul, my son, was little. He hated going to the bathroom. He would hold it for days. And I remember one time, we're sitting there watching TV, and he's just, Paula goes, that's it, Shay, go to the bathroom right now. Go, go. And I'm around some people, I'm going, go to the bathroom. You're full of it. Forgive. And they're going, no. See, the reality is, y'all, if you don't forgive, the pollutants of whatever it is is poisoning your soul. You do not forgive for the other person. You forgive for you. And if you do not forgive, you cannot take in. I remember one time I had back surgery. And they, the, the hospital, they gave me some medicine for the back surgery. And what they didn't tell me was that the stuff that's muscle relaxers to deal with the pain for the surgery was, 
it deals with the pain in your back. So I had the surgery on a Saturday, and, and by Wednesday, I, my back was feeling okay. But what they didn't say was that this also affects your digestive tract. So on Saturday, I had surgery, and that's the last time I had sent forth till about Thursday. And y'all, by Thursday, I'm really hurting. Not from the back surgery. From not having sent forth. And I'm laying in bed going, oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and I mean, it ain't happening, y'all. And I'll never forget, man, one night, this night, a friend of mine, Dan Lightshaw, he knows that I love Carol Lee Donuts. Amen. And he knows I love them. So he, he knew I had back surgery. He said, I'm going to go bless Rick. So he goes and gets this dozen Carol Lee Donuts. And I'll never forget, I'm laying on my side in the bed. I'm just literally, I couldn't lay on my back or my stomach. It's hurting so bad. Not from the surgery. I'm serious. I'm hurting. Oh, Lord. And Dan walks in the door. Hey, size. And he's got his hand behind his back. Size, how you doing, brother? Come on, man. I love you, man. And he pulls out this dozen donuts and he comes over and he sticks them in my face. And I'm serious, man. I about threw up. Now, I love Carolee Donuts. But I couldn't take it in anymore. Because why? I was full of it. And so I love her. But if I don't forgive her, when she hurts me and wounds me, and she comes out with a dozen Carolee donuts, in the, you know, oh, Rick, I love you. I'm going, get away from me. I can't take anymore. And y'all, let me just say this to you. Forgiveness, blanket forgivenesses do not work. It's the individual events that chain your soul up. Because every event establishes an area in your heart that's messed up. And that's why when we, we have charts, what we call sin charts, that just categorize, that allows a person to go through and show the specific events in a, in a relationship and to process and to forgive. And I can say many more things about this. Paul's going to share some things about the other type of chain, what we call the other side of the chart. Because the reality is, you, somebody can sin against you and you forgive them and still be chained to that event. And that's what Paul is going to share in a second. But how do you forgive? Let me tell you something. I've had to forgive people that's ripped us off for a million dollars in business, $50,000 in business. I've had to deal with traumatic events of people wronging me in many different ways. Just about probably any way that you want to have to have to deal with forgiveness, I've had to deal with it. And, and, uh, and, and I can tell you the testimony of that if you don't forgive, of how it weights your soul down. And so, y'all, the picture is, if you hold anything, Matthew, I mean, Mark chapter 11, verse 25 says, is if you hold anything against anyone, God cannot forgive your sin. It's a judicial act to forgive because in the heavens, if my sins are forgiven and, and we don't forgive, judicially, that's not justice. And so what you want to be able to do is first, imagine this, you've got a debt in your hand because if somebody sins against you, it creates a spiritual debt. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. So it's a spiritual debt. So Paula wrongs me. It creates a spiritual debt. If I hold it, I've got to pay for it. 
And guess what? It does not affect her. And what I want to do is I want to make her pay in my heart for what I'm holding. But she's going free. Hey, <laughs> yeah, you're right. And I'm going, you know? But literally what it is, it's like when you take that, when you, you're holding that debt, then it's, and you're holding it, and you go, okay, Lord, I forgive. Send it forth. Excuse me for saying it this way, but take a crap. And Paul's going to share some things on the other side. Like I said, come here, babe. And, and what we're after here, y'all, is not to try to generate anything up, but we're try, after to try to set your faith and your love free to function. We want to take the transparencies off your heart. And so, so, so first thing is somebody sins against you to forgive. But here's the question. When they sin against you, how did you respond? That's the question. Because that's the whole other side of the chart. Unlike Rick, I can't quote 50 verses in 30 minutes. So we will be looking these up. So uh, if you can go to Ephesians 4. Um, so again, picture a chart, okay? Um, we have a chart. This podium is split in half. This side is, is unforgiveness, okay? And so, or the whole, the whole chart is sins against us. But this side is unforgiveness. And he's already told you that the antidote to that is to forgive. So you're releasing the debt. You're letting go of it, okay? On this side of the chart is the other chain. Remember there were two chains to that ball, okay? So when you forgive, one of the chains is broken. And really for a lot of our life, we couldn't understand why I've forgiven that person, and we minister to people all the time. I've already forgiven them. I've forgiven them. Yeah, but did you deal with the sins in your life that you committed at the same time? Okay? And so that doesn't seem fair, right? But see, that's where the enemy is. He is he's wise. He's a wise serpent, right? And so even if he, he loses this, this debt, there's still this side over here that gives him a legal right to torment us. Uh, because if we sinned in anger when this happened, say Rick wrongs me and I get mad and I let the sun down go, on my, go down on my anger, then there's sin in my life that needs to be repented of. So let's talk about some of our responses that can still chain this event to us. Okay, and the first one, like I said, is anger. So if you go to Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Um, and so opportunity is, it could also be a foothold. I'm right, right? It can be a foothold. So basically, we're allowing the enemy a place in our life. And we're going to talk about how uh, the parable in a little while, about how the person was turned over to the torturer. So we're giving him legal right to accuse us for, before the father, okay, when we let the sun down and we hold on to the anger. Um, so can I just say that anger is an emotion and emotions aren't bad? Rick kind of talked about that last night. Um, I have a real... Uh, I can have an emotion of anger, 
and I've always thought that was really bad. Having the emotion isn't bad. It's an emotion. It is a signal that something has happened that I probably need to forgive or deal with, but that's all it is is a signal unless I respond in anger. Does that make sense? There's a step I take after that, and it's like he said, do I start looking at, okay, I'm angry, so I need to start looking at the inside of the cup. What's caused this anger? I'm having an emotion. What's it signaling? And deal with the inside of my cup. Or I can yell at Rick and scream at him and, 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 and continue my side of the discussion, which, like he says, I'm pretty good at. Okay. Also, another thing I can do with anger is I can manipulate with it. And that was an issue I had to deal with in the flesh, is manipulating Rick through anger. And believe me, when I'm really angry, it's not pretty. So to avoid that is a manipulation on my part. For him to avoid breaching that subject with me because I might get angry, that's manipulation. And so I've had to repent of that and, and know, and as soon as that I feel that, I know I'm in the flesh, not the spirit. So I need to swivel my chair over here and get back in the spirit. It's a signal. Um, so anger in and of itself is an emotion, but it's how I respond to that emotion that's important, okay? I can sin in my anger according, according to this, be angry but do not sin. And the other thing I can do is I can hold on to it. I may not yell at him, I may not, but deep inside, I'm still angry with him about it, okay? I might have stuffed it. I might have been able to, like he said, with sheer willpower, not yell and scream and act like a jerk, but I'm still holding it, okay? So either way, it gives the enemy a foothold in my life. So again, when I feel the emotion, and again, this is one I'm very familiar with. I could talk about it a long time. You know, when I feel the anger, it's a signal for me to figure out what's going on, okay? What has caused this emotion to happen so that I can deal with it before it gets me in trouble? Does that make sense? Okay, so that's anger. And again, remember, all you have to do, okay, I forgive Rick for blah, 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 blah. Lord, forgive me for operating and sinning in anger in response to that. And I may even go into the detail of what I did. What, did I yell at him? Did I argue with him? You know, forgive me for hurting him. And I may then need to go to Rick and say, please forgive me for saying those things and operating that way. So, so I want to repent. Okay, of the anger. The next one is bitterness, and that's Hebrews 12, 15. I should just make Rick stand up here and rattle these off. Okay, let's see. He is my walking Bible concordance. Can I tell you it's really convenient? Okay, 12, 15. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many are defiled. So bitterness, okay, bitterness is the second one. Um, and again, you know, what is bitterness? I mean, I think we all know what that feels like and looks like, but what is it really? Um, and, and for me, the simplest definition is I'm unable to see a person as God sees him. Okay, I start seeing Rick according the way he's operating right now, not according to God, who God says he is. Does that make sense? And so if I look at him in the offense, 
okay, in relationship to the offense or his flesh, how he operates in the flesh, and I stay there, then I'm bitter. Let me give you some examples of my thought patterns in this. He's never going to change. It's been 38 and a half years, and he's still doing it. He's never going to change. That's bitterness. I'm seeing him in the way he's operating, not what God says about him. Okay? Another one is, um, he hates this word. He's always going to do that. You're always going to do that. He hates that. You know, because, or, or you always do that. You always do that, you know, and he's like, always? Is it really always? <laughs> you know, he hates that word, but that's bitterness coming out. Again, I'm not, you know, I'm, that's the way I see him. I'm, I'm hopeless. I'm hopeless in him changing, All, and boy, Satan loves that. He's up there, you go, 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 because he knows that if I'm bitter, guess what? I'm short of the grace. So again, we've got to remember that all this stuff is not about Rick. It's about me, even though Rick reaps great benefits from it. Because if I'm seeing him in faith and I'm speaking words of faith and grace into him, that's powerful, okay? Um, I know that one thing the Lord taught me early on was that just pray scripture over him. If, I, if there's areas that I want to see changed, instead of nagging, which never works with him, complaining, which never works with him, you know, if I pray, then the, then it's the Holy Spirit, and he's a lot more powerful than him. And by the way, he lives in him. He's even got a better voice than I have to speak into him and talk to him. And so all of those things are advantages for him, but for me, being bitter, I come short of the grace of God. Remember Rick talked about grace as a spout, and the way I picture it, you know, there's a funnel, you know, a funnel. I just see this funnel of grace, and this is where I want to be, right under this funnel, just with the grace of the Lord, able to do things I can't do on my own and operate and all of these things that are uh, be like Jesus, you know, the line, this is where I am, and this is where Jesus is, and the grace takes me up there. And he says we can do all the things he did. How do you think we do those things with grace? So this is where I want to be. Rick offends me. I get bitter. I start embracing those thoughts. I basically do this. Here's the grace flow just hitting the ground over here, and here I am outside of grace, trying to do it on my own, okay? So it's a huge thing. If you can get a picture of that, it really helps you to be able to go, this is totally not worth it. Okay, it is totally not my right to hold on to this, and I'm a very rights-oriented person, judge, justice person. You know, that for me is not worth losing the grace. So if you can kind of keep that picture in your mind, because I want to read that scripture one more time because it's so powerful. Hebrews 2.15, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. And by it, many are defiled. So there's one more thing I want to say about bitterness. And that is that you also defile everything, everybody around you. And if you're a parent with children still living at home, that was a big deal to me. To think that my bitterness would defile my kids. That it would somehow affect them. And being a mom, that's just the worst thing to me, is that thinking that something that I'm doing would be negatively or adversely affect them. But it's not just your kids. I mean, think about your neighbors, members of your church, 
your friends, I mean, everybody around you will start experiencing that bitterness. And it's like, like he's saying, you know, instead of the sweet, sweet aroma of Christ in every place, you get the bad aroma of bitterness in every place. So, you know, so just major motivation with bitterness uh, to just to repent. Remember, on this side, Lord, forgive me for not seeing Rick the way you see him. And, and ask him to show you what he sees. Give, 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 he'll give you verses to pray for him. It's not like you just go, okay, he gets a free pass. You know, that's my issue with grace. And I even told him, I said, you know, because he'll say, well, you just need to give me mercy and grace. I said, stop saying that because in my mind it's a free pass. But that's not it at all. Again, that's bitterness. That's bitterness speaking, okay? It's not giving him a free pass, but it is operating as a powerful wife in relationship to him. There's a big difference, you know, and I can remember Rick when he was doing campus ministry, he said, because this is when I really started get, catching on to all this, and he goes, it is a fearful thing to be in the hands of a submissive wife, you know, because he could feel the prayers. He could feel the power that was coming from me operating without bitterness, without anger. Third one was out, is without complaining. And that one, this one's pretty, pretty straightforward in James, James 5, 9. Basically, it just starts, do not complain. And it, it's interesting because it moves from there, do not complain, brethren, against one another, that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. We'll talk about judgment in a minute. But we were talking about this earlier. It's amazing to me how complaining quickly goes into judgment in that verse. And then you'll find our complaining in the world, you know, in real life, quickly goes into judgment. And we'll talk about judgment in a minute. But complaining, the words coming out of your mouth. Are you speaking life or are you speaking death? About anything, about your job, about your church, about your pastor, which is very personal for us, about your husband, okay, about your kids. Are you speaking life over your kids? Are you confessing death over them? Are you confessing diagnoses on them that you've been told? Are you speaking life over them? You know, I mean, that's a big difference. I can remember this lady at my church. She's now my neighbor, awesome lady. And uh, I saw her little boy, and I can remember when Shay and Michelle had the clear running nose, the doctors would always say, allergy, allergy. So her little boy had a clear running nose. I said, oh, I see, you're, I see you've got allergies. She goes, Paula, we are trying not to believe that he's not going to have allergies. You know, and you're, my pastor's wife is confessing over it. I'm like, holy cow, you're so right. <laughs> you know? But, you know, even, you know, just because that's the norm, do we have to accept that? You know, no, we don't have to accept that. And so we have, so, you know, again, I'll start preaching here, but let's look at Ephesians 4.29, because to me, this is the opposite of complaining. And it's, it's again, it's a powerful tool that uh, the Lord has taught me through the years. And when I operate in it, it is life. Okay, Hebrews 4.25, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may, may give grace to those who hear. Give grace to those you hear. So that's what we want to do. You know, we want to speak grace. We want, we want, I want Rick to get grace. Why? Because then he's going to love me like Christ loved the church. Yes. Isn't that the goal? So I want to speak grace over him, words of grace. And again, the Lord will give you those. Um, 
Um, Lord has given me specific verses to pray, and they change. But there's, there's been a few core ones that are always there. But there's specific ones depending on what I know he's dealing with um, that he'll give me to speak over him and pray over him. Okay, so that's complaining. Lord, forgive me for complaining. And you may need to break some verbal curses in that. You know, if you've been speaking verbal curses over your husband or over the situation or over your kids or whatever, whoever the offender is, you may want to break those verbal curses because that's critical, okay? Because what you've spoken into the environment is there, and you want to break those. Okay, the next one's hate, 1 John 2, 9 through 11. Okay. The one who says he's in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Um, And I have to be honest, before we started teaching this and the revelation came, Hate to me was this big, ugly thing. And if you asked me if I hated anybody, I would have said absolutely not. But, you know, the definition of this Greek word is to push away. So, literally, it's just this. That's what it means. Okay? So, is there someone in your life that you go, I'm no longer dealing with that person. I'm not a drama queen. I'm just not a drama person. I was raised by two brothers, like one on each side of me, three and four years, and they just didn't do drama, you know, so I just totally did, don't get the whole drama thing, girls. I just don't, and most women do get that. They were raised with sisters or whatever, and they totally get the drama, and some people really thrive on it. With me, it's like, I just don't do drama, so drama people to me are like, Okay, I just can't deal with you. You're just too drama. (laughs) Too much drama, too much drama. So instead of dealing with it, I do this, okay? I get as far away from it as I can. Or is that that person in the grocery store that you see and you kind of go, you know, because you mean it's a 15-minute conversation or it's just somebody, again, you just don't want to deal with. That's hate. That's hate. And so God has really had to start convicting me in my heart of, of, of the real definition of hate, and even with Rick, and, and this, this is my specialty, and he knows it. This is my specialty. You have hurt me. I don't want to be vulnerable anymore because, to be frank, I just don't want you to do it anymore. You know, I just don't want to be hurt anymore. You know, it's not even as much punishing him as protecting me. And I can remember one time he said, okay, I feel the walls. You know, the walls are going up. I feel it. What's happening? What's wrong? You know, and that's pushing him away. That's hate. So, again, what we do with hate, because we don't want to walk in darkness and we don't want to be blinded and not be able to see where we're going, is that we repent. Okay? Forgive me for pushing him away. Um, Or for... Well, she can use hate when on me when I travel a lot. Like I just got back from being in Croatia for three weeks and or if I go to places that are really dangerous like into the Middle East to protect her heart when I get back I feel this wall which she's put up to protect herself 
while he was gone, or even before he leaves. It'll start before he leaves, is that it'll start building that wall because I don't want to miss him. I don't want to, and, you know, yeah, so it isn't a good thing. Okay, so the next one is judgment, Matthew 7. This is a big one. And again, my flesh is very justice-oriented. And so uh, this is one that I really deal with in unforgiveness. Because to me, and not so much if you hurt me, but you hurt one of my kids or my husband, I really deal with the whole judgment thing. Especially if it's a church leader. Because they're up there on the worship team, or they're up there, and I'm going, God, you know, I can remember saying this one time. How do you keep from striking that person down? And he goes, same way I'm keeping from striking you down. I went, Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, so again, it's that judgment thing. If I judge him that he should be struck down, well, he would have to strike me down too, you know? And I'm just like, holy cow, I got to forgive this person. I really do got to deal with this, <laughs> you know? And so that's how you have to look at it, you know? However you're judging them, that's how you're going to be judged. So let's look at Matthew 7, 1 through 6. Do not judge lest you be judged. If that's not motivation, there never will be. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye when you notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly and take the speck out of your brother's eyes. Okay, so, so again, judgment is huge, and basically the definition of judgment is to divide out. To judge is divide out, and then you are declaring, okay, and you're declaring a sentence. Like I said with him. I had divided him out, and his sentence should be he should be struck down because there's no way he should be up there worshiping after doing what he did, okay? That was my judgment and my pronouncement, okay? And so I not only knew he was wrong, I knew what should happen to him, you know? And so that's judgment. And the way I was judging him, next mistake I made when I hurt somebody, that would have been, should have been my judgment as well. And so it's huge. And it's something that, you know, we really need to, to be aware of. It's amazing to me that complaining turns to judgment really fast. So, we, you know, we're complaining and then suddenly we're dividing out and we're declaring a, a sentence. Yeah, we're declaring a sentence. So we need to be careful with that. Um, so we want to grant mercy because that's what we want, right? I mean, when I mess up with Rick... I want him to forgive me. I want, him, I want mercy. I'm throwing myself at the mercy of my husband. Well, I, I can't get that if I don't give that. So it works both ways, okay? So, so in judgment, um, just remember that we are judged in the same way that we judge, and we want to grant mercy because that's what we want. And again, right here, all we have to do is ask forgiveness for the judgment, okay? Um, okay. I want to do a diagram. This is my, one, my favorite diagram we do because, again, it makes a really good point. These lovely people have, love me, and they've agreed to help me out. And Pam doesn't know it, but she's agreed to help me out too. So, <laughs> okay, if y'all can come on this side. Okay, so we're going to put Deanne right here. Now let's do this. Jason, you be right here. Sorry, Jason, but you are the offender. Okay, and you're going to face the podium. Okay, Deanne 
is the offendee. So right now, if you'll just stand right here. Okay, and I don't like people to be Satan, so this speaker right here, or whatever this thing is, is Satan, okay? And Pam gets to be God. So easy, yeah. All right, if you'll come stand on the side of the podium. Okay, so now. Huh? Deanna, you're going to face this. You're going to face Satan, okay? Sorry. Um, So, Jason, which I know this rarely happens, but Jason has offended Deanne in some way, okay? Um, Feel familiar? (laughs) All right. So, right now, as soon as that happens, there's a line of judgment between Pam and Jason. So, the temptation is going to be that Satan is going to work on Deanne and try to get her to stand. Now, does she face him? She faces him now, right? Okay, you're going to face Jason. Okay, so now the temptation is her to be here. Now, let's read the scripture. The scripture is, again, is Romans 12, 8. 18, sorry. Romans 12, 18. So let's see what's happening in this picture that I've shown you right there. If I can get there. Okay, 12, 18. Okay, if it's possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he's thirsty, give him drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay, so back right out real quick. Okay, so when the offense occurred, God's telling Deanne, vengeance is mine. Vengeance is mine, said the Lord, I will repay. So the path of judgment to Jason is right here. Well, here's the enemy. And my first instinct is the enemy is at work here, right? But he doesn't need to be at work here. Jason's already in trouble, okay? He wants to be at work here. He wants to get Deanne in trouble. So he's tempting her to make her own vengeance, to make her own judgment, to sort Jason out and and make a a sentence over him, okay? So now, the line of judgment hasn't changed. So Jason's getting Deanne's judgment, right? Whose judgment is Deanne getting? Yeah, Deanne getting. Who's he getting? Whose judgment is she getting? God. She's in the way right? And we've seen this so many times. Uh, Our favorite story is a guy in Boone, long story short, he got his partner and friend, betrayed him in a business, did him really bad. Basically, this guy gets in financial trouble. He's a great construction guy. He cannot make money. He builds a house. He can't sell it. You know, he builds a house for you, and somehow his bid's wrong. He can't, he just cannot make money. This guy is over here making money and probably in the Bahamas drinking margaritas or whatever you drink in the Bahamas, okay? So he, he cannot, so he's looking at this going, God, where's justice? Where's my justice? You know, I'm struggling and he's not. So Rick taught this, okay? And he convinced Deanne to step out of the way, okay? And when that happens, then now Jason is receiving the judgment of the Lord. Okay, now Jason's got a choice here. He can either repent, which of course we know he's going to do as soon as he gets convicted. 
okay? And he's fine, and, and you know, God's good. He's going he's gonna to show Jason his heart, like Rick was talking about. You know, he's not just tell Jason, be, be good to Deanne now, be good. He's going to say, Jason, why, you know, Jason's going to say, Lord, why am I operating like this? Why, why am I treating Diane, Deanne that way? Okay, and then God's going to do a big thing in Jason's heart. And that's what, Di- that's what Deanne really wants, right? That's what she wants. Okay, so for Deanne, you know, how does she step out of the way? That's the question, you know, um, again, because there's part of us this thing, that thinks that I'm just going to give him, if I step out of here, I'm giving him a free pass. And everything in us wives, that's just not right. You know, he should not get a free pass. But that's not what you're saying at all. So basically... You know, it, it talked about um, the coal of fire, you know, that, 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 she's, that she can heap, keep coals of fire on his head, right? Well, um, if you remember Isaiah, when he, uh, the train filled the temple, and I think it was Isaiah 6, am I right? Isaiah 6, 5 through 7, the train fills the temple, and, you know, the seraphim are all doing their thing. The Holy Spirit's really thick, okay? And so... And you would think Isaiah would be, you know, all about that. But what happens? He's convicted. And he goes, I'm a man of unclean lips. So a seraphim comes and touches his tongue with a coal of fire. So it's a purifying thing. So what, what, what we want to happen with Jason is that he be purified, that the coals of fire come, and they can come from her uh, in the form of speaking blessings, kind of like we were talking about earlier. So if we go to First Peter really quick. Um, First Peter 3, 9 and 10. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult. Isn't that hard? That's the discussion thing Rick's talking about. We can really get caught in that trap of doing insult for insult. But instead of doing that, giving a blessing instead. For you were called for this very purpose, that you might inherit a blessing. So for Deanne to inherit the blessing that she wants in this situation, she's going to give a blessing. And Rick does like a scale, like... For the scales to be balanced. I mean, that's a beautiful picture. A beautiful picture. So Deanne's going to step out of the way. She's going to heap coals of fire through blessing. Now, and again, it's kind of like we were talking about earlier. Y'all can sit down. Thank you. It's kind of like we were talking about earlier. The best way for me to do it, because most of the time I'm not really feeling it, okay? Because the emotions kind of lag on this sort of stuff. I might forgive Rick because I know these principles, but my emotions haven't really caught up with enthusiasm, you know? But you know what gives me the enthusiasm is when I start praying those scriptures over him, start speaking those blessings into the spiritual over him. My, my emotions will eventually catch up. So can I just say right off the bat, you do this, okay, because you know these principles and you want the good things that are going to happen because of that, your emotions might not catch up with you as when you finish praying. You're probably not going to think, oh, 
feel so, I love him. He's so awesome. That's not how that works. Okay, usually I have to start praying and speaking the blessings of the scripture. You know, I have to make a choice at that point to let my emotions catch up eventually. Okay, and they will. They will catch up because you're not dragging that ball and chain around. They will, but it's not necessarily, sometimes it is. Sometimes, especially if you haven't ever done this and you start getting rid of those balls and chains, man, you're lighter than air. But that doesn't always work that way, okay? A lot of times you just got to let the emotions catch up with you. Okay, I'm almost done. I know you guys have had about all you can handle. Okay, rebellion.